In today's episode of Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures, we marry two of Bill's passions, torch songs, and professional wrestling. We talk about a music video that leans heavily into the porcelain dog. And it's Dave Kitchen's 11th episode. This is Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures take on Cindy Lauper's Time After Time. Today's song, Time After Time, by Cindy Lauper. I've always wondered, does it mean again and again, like happening time after time? Or is it a philosophical question? What happens after time? What is the time after time? Do we have an answer for this, Bill? Am I inventing a new type of philosophy? I think you've hit us into the sixth dimension. Because <laughs> the fifth one is love, right? I, did I get that interstellar right? No, I think or the fifth gravity? dimension is a band. Well, here to bring us out of the sixth dimension is 11-time co-host, Dave Kitchen. Who do you think you are? I am. Happy to be here for my 11th time. <laughs> I'm coming in hot, boys. This is I'm in double-digit territory now. I practically own this podcast. I'm ready to go. As prolific as Kitch is as a uh, co-host, we do have to give props to his wife, who has the episode that got to 50 listens faster than any other episode that we've had. So That she reminds me of almost daily. <laughs> so, Kitch, you're something. But, Kate, you're something, too. <laughs> Bill's coming in hot. I'm coming in hot. Dave Kitchen brought this song to us. And we have been thinking about doing this for a long time. But we're a bit nervous, I think, to, to go for it. Well... I was confused because Kitch brought this to us, and I was excited because we were going to do Time After Time by Timmy T. But then, I won't say disappointed, but thrown off that it's actually Time After Time by Cindy Lauper. The jury's still out on which one is better. Maybe that could be in our Spotify question of the week. Who's saying it better? Maybe they should go head-to-head right now. two songs side by side and there is a fan theory out there that timmy t and cindy lopper are actually dating because timmy t's girlfriend from the one more try song was cindy and he did a song called time after time but i'm just here to kind of burst that bubble and to say they weren't dating sorry wolfman i was afraid to do this song because i wasn't sure if it was a guilt-free pleasure because there can't be any human on this planet who doesn't love this song. It's a fantastic song. And I read an article saying that it's a fantastic song. And surveys have called it one of the greatest love songs of all time. 
Is it, it a love song though? It is. It's a song of longing. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. There are a lot of themes that run throughout the song, and I'm sure we're going to get through most of them, if not all of them. But it is a love song. It's about really being there for someone and, and loving them, even though you're questioning what the relationship is. And again, I'm jumping the gun here on the analysis of the song. Our good friend Tom Bryhan, who writes the Stereo Gum articles on the number ones, said that this was a love song not a love song. So he put love in italics, that it's this actual love, not the sort of, I'm just in love, or I'm just getting out of love, but what deep yeah. entanglement love looks like. It's not superficial. This song is insanely good. I'm really glad we're doing this. I'm just going to put that out there. So if the survey were to come to me, this is one of the greatest love songs of all time. I agree. And I think it's got all the 80s elements that make it in the guilt-free pleasure universe, mm-hmm. but it is a banger. So I can see why there'd be some confusion, but we're, we got to do this song. Yeah. So reading into the song and this album, so it comes off of She's So Unusual, which came out in 83. Cindy Lauper's 30 years old when her debut album comes out. I always thought Cindy Lauper was really young when she started off. She always had that youthful sort of exuberance and sort of glow about her. Yeah, even in the video, there's moments where she plays herself as a younger person and it it's totally passable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She could be a pickpocket in Oliver. <laughs> she could, you know. <laughs> and the reason I say that is, and I do mean the pun to, to work, she is really is kind of out of time. She is of that time, like perfectly fits Early yes. MTV. Perfect. Yeah. But she is drawing on influences that are stretching back to Van Gogh, silent films, and uh, weird like Betty Boop things. Like she, she has an accent that doesn't belong anywhere in the second half of the 19th century. Yeah. I don't even know where that comes from. Like that accent, there, I've never met anyone who has an accent like that except on old timey TV. Yeah, so there's this vintage feel about her. Yeah, the uh, the outfit that she wore for the album comes from a vintage store that is still open. I looked it up. It's called Minnie's. I can't oh, It's something Minnie. Screaming Mimmies? Screaming Mimmies, which I think is an old film. And then they turned it into, they used the name for the shop. And it's still in operation in Chelsea in New York. Mm-hmm. So she's kind of that eclectic kind of anything goes 80s style, you know. But you're right. It, it comes from all over the place. She's born in Brooklyn, so she grows up in New York. And then she comes out of a kind of a tricky family situation. Sounds like his abusive stepfather. So she, I think she ran away or got away as best she could. Yeah, and she hitchhiked across Canada. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. She ended up in Vermont in art school. Is that, does that sound about right? Yeah, she went back and spoke at a convocation in the last like 10 years. Oh, okay. So... It turns out Captain Lou Albano's not her father. <laughs> I only I, found wait that a out. second. Does that mean Hulk Hogan is not her bodyguard? Yeah. <laughs> I just found this out yesterday. It threw me off. I thought for sure Captain Lou Albano was her dad. I'm like, oh man, I can't believe Captain Lou Albano would be a bad guy. I'm like, oh no, Captain Lou Albano's still a good guy. Yeah, I yeah. hope. Well, he was but in it, the he was in the time after time video, and the uh, girls just want to have fun yeah. as well. So it turned out not her dad. So I guess, uh, as the wrestling fans say, it was a bit kayfabe. Oh, okay. <laughs> so he's not Timmy T's father-in-law. He's No, no, no. no. <laughs> so she has all this like world experience before she ends up back in New York. Right? Mm-hmm. She drops out of art school, goes back to New York and sings. And she has a four-octave range. Yeah. Blows out her voice. 
singing. And so she ends up in like 1978 forming a band with, I think it's John Turi, who's a saxophone player, saxophonist. Called Blue Angel. Yeah. Blue Angel is awesome. They are great. Yeah. So it has that throwback 60s vibe. Definitely that sort of vintage vibe. Mm-hmm. I think in the LA, they called it like the Paisley Underground. I don't know what they call it in New York, but it was like, wasn't punk, but it was like new wavy, but 60s. And 1980, they released their only album, and you can get it on Spotify and stuff. It's hard to get a physical copy, but it is worth the listen. But she blows out her voice and also ends up having to go bankrupt because she gets, I think she gets sued by... They got sued by her, by the manager of the bank. Right, yeah. So she declares bankruptcy and then goes to work at Screaming Mimmies. And the beginning of, of I think, something that we're going to talk about this episode is is starts here where she was given offers as a solo artist, but refused because she wasn't going to go anywhere without her band. Yeah. And then well, so cool. so the deals fell through and that's why she was sued because the manager was like, no, you've got money on the table here and you're walking away from it. Right. So you don't get to do that. So she ends up bankrupt because right. of it and then kind of sits around for a couple more years before a solo project comes out. Right. So the band breaks up and now she is on her own to do an album. She ends up signing to a subsidiary of Columbia. Yes. Yeah. I, I forget the name of that. The, uh, Was it Polydor? Polydor, I believe. Oh, okay. All right. Good good research, you two. That's what Wikipedia gives you. Good research. And so she works on this album called She's So Unusual. And they see her as an interpreter of songs. And the producer is... Gertoff or something like that? Yeah, Rick Rick Chertoff. Chertoff. Right. Which is very different from the actor of late night videos, Rick Chertoff. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we've seen those movies, Frank. (laughs) The producer and Cindy pick some great songs, right? Yes. They pick... Girls Just Want to Have Fun, that was kind of like a bit of a sexist tune, and she ends up turning it into a... Yeah, it's to an anthem of a female empowerment. Oh, it's incredible. Because she rewrote the lyrics, right? Yeah. Yeah. They cover When You Were Mine by Prince, was an early tune, Mm -hmm. and that's amazing. All Through the Night, it's another song written by someone else, and she kills it. So, if you look at the album, the first, like, one, two, three, four, five, six songs are all singles. That do incredibly well. Are they all singles? All the first six first songs. First six songs. Oh wow! Released over a span of about eight months too. So the oh, thing yeah. just the album stays alive. Yeah, which is why like Cindy Lauper blew up this album, obviously. And and my memory of all of this is Cindy Lauper was as big or bigger than Madonna mm-hmm. for about two years. Yeah, and their trajectories fascinate me as well. I figure we'll get to that, or we could talk about that. I mean, Madonna is this sort of juggernaut that just keeps producing music and just moves forward. Mm-hmm. And Cindy Lauper creates a great album, and she seems to be kind of satisfied to make a really good album and then not to be in the limelight, not to seek cultural power. But I just find her a really interesting character. And this is not a diss to Madonna. Madonna's great. But there's something about Cindy Lauper that's even more impressive to me, that she wasn't tricked by fame she she was truly unusual in the fact that she was a real weirdo in the best sense of the word and i think she was and i don't want this to sound like i'm slamming donna or anything like that but i think she was more authentic to herself oh yeah oh yeah and and this helps coming in and at 30 
And this helps being in art school and having a vision exactly what she wants to do, I think. Cover the album. You see her in, uh, oh, it's a place that's called Coney Coney Island. Island. Yeah. She's got a whole entire getup centered around a picture that's supposed to be reminiscent of a shot out of Brazil. A friend had a photo and she wanted to duplicate it. Oh, yeah. It's definitely got like a flamenco dance kind of look yeah. to it. Yeah. 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 And so she knows what she's doing. On the back, she took a picture of Vincent van Gogh's Starry Skies, cut it out, and pasted it on the bottom of her shoes. And it was also like meant to be some sort of symbol of, I don't know what it was. Actually, I have it written down. I was reading the memoir yesterday, but you look at it and she has an idea that she wants to tell you that the sky's out there. It's on her shoes. And so there's all this wonder. Right. So. Anyway, the sky is her ceiling. Okay. Is her floor? Sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, I think the difference between Madonna and her is that she's an artist and Madonna is a, a star. And Madonna has all the machinery of the music industry behind her, and she's not necessarily writing all her own songs. But uh, Cindy Lauper and even Madonna. I read a quote where Madonna, because they were, you know, the press was trying to create a beef because they've got right, two yeah. hot starlets and they they need there to be drama. And they both refused to take the bait. And Madonna said, no, she's the whole package. Like she writes yeah. her own stuff. She produces her own stuff. Yeah. And um, she's she's got that uniqueness. Madonna's great. We've said it, you know, but um, but there's definitely, you can see the machinery behind her and the sort of the calculated moves where Cyndi Lauper just seems like somebody who just came with her kit with her, yeah. you know, and, then this, and she just put it on display for everybody. She was all hands on deck for the album, even though she's a debut artist, she must have driven the producer nuts, she said, because she wanted things to sound a certain way. She'd stop the band and tell them, I want you to channel the clash. I want you to get those sounds in your head when you're doing this. I don't want it mm-hmm. to sound like this. I want it to sound like that. And she is right. It's like a um, she's got all the right instincts. Yeah. And that goes for the covers that she does. And then she writes a few songs on the album, but two in particular that are incredible. They got Shebop, which she said was this big secret that she wasn't going to tell anybody. So in her memoir, she goes, me and my big mouth went on Dr. Ruth and told everyone what it was about. (laughs) She got got listed under the 15 filthiest songs of the year (laughs) by one of those watch groups. And then Time After Time is the last song written on the album. Yeah. And this is, again, one of those instances of the album's done. No, we want one more song. And it becomes the biggest hit off the album that story is it's happened so many times on on different albums i'm wondering if i write an album i think every song is just going to be that one last song i need to put on that way i'll I'll have 12 hits (laughs) but it's it's incredible there's there's such so much depth on this album and they were saying we need one more song yeah and the record company says this is the greatest song this will propel you into stardom i can't imitate her voice i wish i could (laughs) Why didn't you ask me to write more? She said, I can do more of these songs. It took yeah. a while to write, but she's a really good songwriter. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, the song is so good. And the studio wants this to be the opening single because they know it's a hit. And she said, no, I don't want to be a balladeer. Because you get one big song that's your, you know, your ballad, then you're never going to be able to release like a, another one well, the same way. Everyone will expect time after time redux right. over and over again. Girls Just Want to Have Fun is the perfect Oh, first single? single? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so a little more info for you, just because I was on a research bender last night. This didn't take off. The album didn't take off because it wasn't played very much. One of the major radio syndicate people called and said, your voice is too high. It's not going to work. 
and said, maybe we should have a meeting to talk about your future, which I don't understand if it's someone trying to groom her for something else. Mm-hmm. And her manager, who's also her boyfriend, what's his name? David? Dick Wolf. David oh. Wolf. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he says, I have a better idea. We're going to promote you through professional wrestling. That's how it started. Are you so serious? That's how it happened. So he made a deal with Vince McMahon that she would show up at the shows and cheer on like the faces and boo the bad guys. Yeah. And then they would kind of put her videos on during the wrestling programs. She said the wrestling was on all weekend. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, there'd be wrestling programs watched by millions of people. Yeah. And they would put in the Cindy Lauper video and that would be what propels her. And it, it's what it did. But then part of the deal was they said to her, listen, you do this for us. Every time she goes on to a talk show or something, she'll promote wrestling. Oh, okay. And that leads, of course, to her winning Best New Artist at the, at the Grammys and bringing Hulk Hogan up on stage. Oh, seriously? That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. So, and he's flexing in the background at one point. Yeah. So I'll put a post in the show notes. Yeah. I, I found it through Facebook. But it's such a fascinating speech where he looks like a bodyguard. He also looks strangely out of place that he looks kind of nervous. He doesn't look like Thunderlips. That's what I'm oh, saying. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love that this episode finally brings together your two biggest loves of pop music and professional wrestling. Yeah, this is a, it's all been coming to this. Yeah. That's why I was worried about doing this. Was it just me or was there a theory in in the 80s that Mean Gene Okerlund was the singer of a Billy Ocean song? Did you ever hear that? No. I think it was Get Out of My Dreams and Into My Car. And there was like a, I remember talking to people. And Where was they, they this were... in our in our episode? Why, why, did, why didn't you call in? <laughs> but there was, yeah, there was a theory that, that I don't know why, but everybody thought it was Mean Gene Okerlund. So <laughs> she obviously, she, she created some kind of connection to pop music in the 80s that was kind of everlasting everyone knows it would have to have been coco beware if they're going to do get out of my dreams <laughs> he was the only singer they had do you remember did you ever see the land of a thousand dances with the, all the wrestlers singing they had him singing all the time oh yeah yeah that's right and he lost all the time too i i felt unfair to coco beware <laughs> it, was, it was his bird frankie it was a distraction <laughs> i don't know how he showed up with that bird every night but did he ever fight Jake the Snake? I don't know. I'm pretty sure that bird was on Quaaludes, though. <laughs> there a moment where a wrestler is like, okay, what's my side gimmick going to be? Somebody gets a two by four. That's pretty cool. Somebody gets a snake. And then somebody's like, you got to look after this parrot for the next three years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you deserve better. <laughs> oh, I Check know. Your dog just had to drag a chain around. Yeah. So here they are, one last song for the album, and they pair her up with Rob Hyman. Ends up being one of the founding members of, and I can't believe I'm saying this name on the podcast, The Hooters. Yeah. Worst name band ever. Yeah. To quote Tom Bryan again in the Stereogum. Yes. <laughs> but also they were the pretty much the backing band for this album. That's, that's them. Which is bonkers to me that... An album and a singer as eclectic as Cyndi Lauper, and she's so unusual, has such a middle-of-the-road band as the backup band for for all of her songs. I got to say, I was listening to a song by them called And She Can Dance, I think. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Okay. Well, then it's not terrible, that song. I know the song. Yeah, but. I, could hear, I could hear the album in there, but not the sort of life that she embedded somehow into it, but that's her being a producer, telling them exactly what she wanted them to do. So you hear early versions of how they're playing. She's like, no, I want this. Yeah. So they just needed more Cindy Lauper production. 
<laughs> well, didn't they say, I, I think I read somewhere that the original song that they wrote had more of a reggae feel. Yes. And then once they got to the album stage, they kind of pared it down and slowed it down a bit. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and so both of them are coming into the song kind of hurting because she's having some up and down stuff with her boyfriend, who's also her manager. Yeah. Who's also in the video. Who's also yes. in the video. Yes. Not a strong actor. No, weak link in the video, as Tom Bryan <laughs> yeah, said. That's right. But he also is, Robert Hyman is coming off of a relationship too that, that ended badly. So they're <laughs> coming to the song Hurt. Yeah. Which produces some great results. Yeah, because they're both kind of just hammering it off on the piano mm. and creating the song. And what I love is there's a placeholder for the title of the song, which became the, the title of the song, Time After Time. But Cindy Lauper got it from the TV Guide. There's mm -hmm. a, a movie from 1979 called Time After Time. The plot of it is that Jack the Ripper steals a time machine from H.G. Wells and travels to the year 1979, and H.G. Wells also travels in time to stop him. Which, I really wish someone would write a song about that movie. That would be so good. After hearing what they were doing with the song, Rick Chertoff wouldn't allow them to play it if he thought someone was outside the door at the studio because he was terrified someone would steal it. Oh, really? He already knew it was great. So this was big secret. He was hiding the song from everybody because he thought someone would steal the song. Like the meaning of Shebop. He's trying to keep this song secret. Yeah. He didn't go on Dr. Ruth to yeah, reveal he it. He didn't want Dr. <laughs> Ruth to steal this song. Yeah, exactly. But they play it at the piano and there's different lines that she hears him say, just random things, and she'll place them into the song. She talked a lot about that. And I think the big one was Suitcase of Memories. Suitcase of Memories, yeah. yeah. Which ends up in the video. Oh, yeah. They, they pack the suitcase to send her off on her way. Oh. Do they pack up the porcelain dog? All right, listen, you're getting ahead of it's yourself. It's a giant bindle. She, I know we're stepping on the toes of talking about the, the video, but she's got a giant bindle as she's slowly strolling out of that airstream. There's got to be a porcelain dog in that thing. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I was going to say, just to add to the whole brokenhearted nature of the development of the song, it was, it was recorded at the record plant, which also is where Rumors by Fleetwood Mac was recorded, which is the most famous album while people are going through a breakup oh, of yeah. all time. So there's definitely the mojo is in the air for sure. Is that fact or rumor? Oh, <laughs> Frank Pearson is here all week, folks. I don't think we can go on after that. I'm ready to be a father. <laughs> is lightning in a bottle the right phrase? Is that or catch lightning or it's like being in the moment, zeitgeist? Are any of those words ringing a bell? Veritable thesaurus. Of, I know. Uh, <laughs> I'm at I'm at a like a buffet of words I don't understand. Either way, whatever was going on happened at exactly the right moment. It was released at exactly the right moment in her career. And we were at the exact right moment age to have it dwell deep into our hearts. Big time. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Big time. I was seven when this came out. And this was the first time I was aware. I think, you know, when you're a kid, you just have like very fairy tale notions of what love is. There's somebody, somebody else likes them. It's meant to be. It's forever after. And then this is the first time as a kid, I remember realizing that love has this complicated side. And, and I watched the video and I, I knew something wasn't right. I was too young to really understand, you know, that when your girlfriend comes home with a waffle hair uh, <laughs> haircut, that that could be too much for some people. You know, I didn't understand it when I was seven. 
But I did understand for the first time that there's a complexity to something and I wasn't quite able to put my finger on it, but this was kind of a, a, an eye-opening experience for me. There's so many uh, moments of going around the roller rink at Prudhomme's Landing, mm. <laughs> hearing the song, taking in all that sorrow, not understanding it, but unknowing that something sad is happening. Even now, when I hear the song, I'm like, is it, are we in a good place? Are they doing okay? What's happening? Am I okay? You're, we're yeah. okay. You're, we're all okay, right? Frank seems to be okay, at least. I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah, you're okay. But there's something threatening about the song, because it's the possibility that you could have all the pieces in place, but it, it's still not working. Or something yeah. something comes along to to break up this good thing that you yeah. have. And, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's, it's like, uh, it's not a safe song. No. No, 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 not at all. Are we getting into the song analysis no, yeah. now? Okay, yeah. fantastic. Got a lot of things to say about this song. Those opening bars are haunting. Yeah. And it has all the 80s sounds, as Kitsch said, has all the sort of beats that you'd expect but it comes together in such a perfect way that i'm not even sure how to how to talk about it but i just know as a young seven-year-old six seven-year-old hearing this song it just felt so heavy but in that way that it's just there that yeah. makes sense no absolutely and it's it's one of those songs that it is a hundred percent an 80s song but it also feels like it transcends the 80s. You can play 90s, 2000s, and it still plays and it still oh. feels. And she does say in her memoir, because she lost to Against All Odds for Song of the Year. Oh, oh that's right. Yeah. She says, I don't hear a lot of covers of Against All Odds, Frank's saying. Postal service, postal service. <laughs> <laughs> but she says, time after time has been covered a shocking amount of times. I was on a website. And it had 178 versions of the song. My goodness. Insane. I'm going to talk about two here very, very quickly. And I know this is probably something that could come up in categories. But the one that shocked me the most was the version by the Gandarvis, who are... A, they went to your high school. Yeah, an early 90s Southern Ontario alternative band. And uh, their version isn't... It's, it's of its time. Like 92. Okay. The other version, Boys to Men. Really? Wow. It's missing Cindy's personality. That really makes this song work, but it's boys to men. Right. I they oh man, they just ooze everything awesome. <laughs> Why'd you say ooze? If you lost you can look and you will find me. Oh time after time. Oh if you fall, I will catch you. I'll be waiting. Oh time after time. Miles Davis covers this song. And not only did he cover it, and Miles Davis is, you know, if you don't if you're not aware who Miles Davis is, he's the guy 
who Bill Murray kicked out of the um, outer part of his uh, TV station and Scrooged. That's the oh, yeah, that's yeah. the guy Miles Davis is. I like that. That's that's your yeah. frame of reference yeah, yeah. for who Miles <laughs> yeah. Davis is. Not this fantastic <laughs> no, no. jazz musician. Yeah. He's in Scrooged, yeah. famous bit actor Miles Davis. I mean, his version doesn't do a lot for me. I hear him like, oh, that sounds kind of nice, I guess. Yeah. But he played it every single concert yeah. until he died. Like, yeah. They, he clearly really loved the song. And then Cindy Lauper also said, we're on these tangents here. We'll get to the song soon. Yeah. She said, I never met him. I didn't want to because I didn't want him to be disappointed in me because I didn't want him to stop playing the song. And she wanted to keep the song pure. So she had the sense of herself that she is such an awkward person. That's what I love about reading about her is that she is super awkward around, she said, famous people. And she ends up tripping over herself. So the only person she liked hanging out with was like Boy George. Oh, They would go out, but she'd still fall fall down. Yeah, because they had like a similar aesthetic, right? Yeah, totally. So, But she said she just wasn't one to go to parties at all or anything like that. Even though she presented herself as this, well, she presented herself as an oddball. Yeah. She was, but she's so lovable. Yeah. She told uh, Steven Spielberg that he he wasn't creative. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Well, she was Goon- doing a song for one of the movies. Yeah. Goonies are good enough. Yeah. This is the Goonies. Yeah, because yeah. he's producing it. Right. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Imagine that. Okay. Shots fired. It's that time we talk about the verses. Okay. I'm going to read it from... Uh, it was just tricky. I had a couple versions here. But you know what? Good thing I have the album beside me. You can read right off the liner notes. I got the handwritten liner notes, Frank. Lying in my bed, I hear the clock tick and think of you. Caught up in circles, confusion is nothing new. Flashback, warm nights, almost left behind. Suitcase of memories, time after, dash. So that's kind of like verse one. Verse two is going to follow straight after. But in verse one, hearing the clock tick is for real because she had this really nice clock that was given to her, but it got dropped and broke on the floor. So her boyfriend, David Wolf, brother of Dick Wolf, (laughs) we think, possibly not. He brought a clock in that was way too loud, and she could just hear it ticking when she'd wake up at night. So, that's... That was the end of the relationship. And you got caught up in circles. Confusion is nothing new. What do you you guys make of that? Well, it sounds like she's been in trouble for a while with this relationship. Going around in circles, it's not new to her. Time is obviously a theme in this. And it comes up again in the second verse, but the caught up in circles... Like the face of a clock is a circle. So it's Ooh. just caught up time after time. Oh, nice Frank. I'm out of here. 
This is that was my only good reading. I love the line flashback warm nights. Like just that sense of being in a relationship and then you flash back to those good memories, right? Yeah. Warm nights. Mm-hmm. Almost left behind. Suitcase of memories. That's a line from Robert, right? So she throws it in. What I love about this is she's throwing in these word pictures too. Yeah. And she's content to put them together and for us to make meaning out of them. Very art school thing, Cindy. Yeah. But time after, right? So she's using th- that placeholder name, but it becomes so vital to the song that it can't leave or the whole song falls apart. Yeah. I always thought at the end of the first verse that she said time after time, but she cuts it at time after. And like reading this, the feel that I get about it is she wants to say time after time, but her emotions get in the way. She's too choked up to say the second time. So it's time after, and she catches herself because she can't say it without crying. Or she's in that liminal space where you know the relationship is over, but you can't bring yourself to end it. Yeah. And so she can't say the second time. She can say time after, and then she has to stop herself because if she says it one more time, then it's admitting everything. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's a much smarter song than I ever gave it credit for before digging into this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, are we ready to talk verse two? Mm-hmm. Oh man, that's heavy. This is the profound first one. one. First one is heavy. No, that was supposed to be the light one. I thought. Oh my goodness. No, the second one's heavy for me. Oh my goodness. Sometimes you picture me. I'm walking too far ahead. You're calling to me. I can't hear what you've said. He said to Sydney while they're recording. I was take a look at my watch. I think this the second hand is going backwards. And then immediately she's like, secondhand unwinds. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. And so these are things happening while they're writing. And so she just puts it in. But for us, she puts it there and suddenly it all makes sense. It makes sense and it's so beautiful. Sometimes you picture me. I'm walking too far ahead. You're calling to me. I can't hear what you the chorus is what we really knew as kids right i mean this is what we know and this is where robert hyman comes in as basically a duet because that's his vocal. Yeah, that's right. I didn't realize it was him actually till yesterday. I thought it was just some other studio guy. Mm-hmm. But it's him. And it works with her voice so well. Oh, my goodness. The theme of the song is two people that love each other. But it's just there's something blocking, right? Mm-hmm. Stopping this thing from happening. And even in the way they sing, he's it's like he's just like a, a, a tempo off. Mm-hmm. when they sing so it's it's almost it's not discordant or anything like that it doesn't take away but it's yeah. just like adding that second voice gives the perspective from the other side too and two people that are in this that recognize it's not working and it just deepens the sadness to me it's interesting that you you said he was just like a little off tempo did you say or because that's the uh, disconnect between the two lovers mm-hmm. they're not completely in sync there I think we could write a master's thesis on this. Yeah. I think we're ready. I think that's what's happening right now. Yeah. I think. We just submit this. And I think we have to professor. call ourselves professors at this I point. I am so <laughs> excited to have one third of a master's with you guys. 
I think that's called a TA, guys, but we'll go with professor. Sure. <laughs> we got our masters. We'll come back to that chorus more. I love that. If you're lost, you can look and you will find me time after time. If you fall, I will catch you. I'll be waiting time after time. I just find that so beautiful that despite the troubles that they're having, and it is kind of implied that this relationship is not going to last, that she will still be there for him. They will still be there for each other, that the love is still there. Yeah. And it's an anthem for the lonely. And, and you know, we've all been in moments in our lives where this is the siren call of somebody who's in need of a connection, you know? I like so that like, you said there's something been, universal. Not currently. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Kitch, for uh, for assuming everything is okay with me right now. I don't know if this fits the Bill Hauser brand, but I know people say this, you know, even if you're not together, if you're lost, I'll, I'll catch you. I'm like, well, actually, we're broken up. Uh, that's the end. <laughs> yeah. I know I said we'd be friends, but this is just kind of the thing I say yeah. to get out of the relationship. And then I'm, uh, I'm, I'll pass by and nod my head, but uh, I'm probably not going to be there to catch you when you fall. Yeah. <laughs> is that fair? When I was a teenager, I worked at Wendy's and uh, there was a girl that I worked with and she she was breaking up with a guy and I had kind of become his friend. And so I gave him the cursory, like, look, man, if, if like, you know, you're having a bad time, like, just give me a call. And then he called me at like three in the morning one time. I was so pissed off. <laughs> I was like, how dare you? Like, everybody knows it's just something you say. Yeah. <laughs> Go call Sidney Lauper. And I was living with my, I was like 16 years old, 17 years old. I my mom answered the phone. Who's calling your house phone? <laughs> oh. So I call him that, the landline. Oh. My mom answered. She's like, David, you got a phone call? It's like, three in the morning like oh what the hell <laughs> oh man how long did that phone call last oh i don't know hours it was, it, yeah hours. it was about it was about 20 minutes i'm like dude I, I don't i think most of our listeners at least according to the spotify demographics understand this but for the younger listeners when someone calls you on a landline i feel like someone calls you on a cell phone you get out of it quick because they know there's minutes there used to be that thing about minutes you have no, battery life yeah. too and no one calls anymore no. but when it was a landline you could talk to a friend for hours yeah and it will piss off everyone in your family because it's going to call waiting or to voice message or whatever back then but even in the 80s it was just busy all the time yeah time after time all right, this is where it hit me hard until you two ruined the first couple of verses for me. But here we go. After my picture fades and darkness has turned to gray, watching through windows, you're wondering if I'm okay. Secrets stolen from deep inside. The drum beats out of time. Jumping now. 
Secrets stolen from deep inside. It's the things you share when you're close with somebody and then you're not close with them. But they have this this thing. This right. you know, that you've shared something. Yeah, that no one else knows, but the person you loved at that time. Right, right. Still knows, right? Yeah. Oh man. But if you're not with them anymore, it's yeah. it's a very vulnerable moment. This is what they warned you at summer camp, Frank, because there's strings attached to every lover, right? Somebody explained love to me like this. You take two hearts, you glue them together, and then at some point you want to rip them apart, but you can it's never a clean rip. There's always a little piece of the other heart attached to to the part that you have. It's such a simple, <laughs> stupid metaphor, but it's so profound. It is true, though, right? Yeah. There's a Because we, we talk about summer camp church things like, be careful, save yourself, and all these sorts of things. But any relationship you're in will leave that mark, even yeah. if it's uh, simple courting. But it's... <laughs> <laughs> I like how you said it like it was like an edit coming in after the fact. <laughs> you know, it's like, blah, 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 simple courting. <laughs> simple courting. <laughs> The best part is when they call it, uh, yeah, I need in, fe- in felt that I can put up on the felt board. Simple oh. cording. <laughs> the idea of a picture fading feels so sad to me. Yeah. And it, it's... Uh, That's why I always <laughs> cry during um, Back to the Future. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's one way. But it, like when we think in 80s language, picture fading is a real deal because you only had pictures that would be developed and they'd be out there in the sun because you'd have them out and they'd slowly fade. And it's just a reality of these pictures. Like, I see pictures of my relatives and I only know them as faded pictures. I have no idea what they were like as real pictures, yeah. which is both sad, but also just reality. It's not actually sad at all. He's watching through windows and wondering if she's okay. And I think about when you're looking at a window, if it's nighttime, you're seeing yourself. Yes. Yeah, and then it's, just, it's just like, it's ponderous. I don't think he's watching through any windows because in the video, she hides behind a window and he runs right past her. <laughs> That's the worst camouflage of all time. (laughs) The most translucent material in the world. She hides behind it. (laughs) He was a private detective, I think, and that uh, that was his job. (laughs) Well, he was Dick Wolf's brother, after all. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) From there on is repetition of the chorus. There's a moment. Well, there's a musical interlude in there that's short enough, but long enough to count. Well said. It's perfect. Yeah. And then... She comes back to the bridge, right? The bridge is, you said, go slow, I'll fall behind, but it's sung like a bridge. Is that fair? Yeah. All right. Okay. And then it, and it takes you there to the beautiful chorus. It's so perfect. Mm-hmm. And then it ends with saying time after time, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times, and an eighth half said time after. smarter than i ever gave it credit for it's so good and so beautiful and it could be relationship 
like, I mean, there's these complicated relationships that work out too, but are, are embedded with all this history that goes into them. Sometimes I talk to friends who's like, well, we almost broke up. Then we got back together and it wasn't quite the story of this sort of fairy tale thing, but this more of a compounded thing, but a real thing. This is me trying to say this song's this going to work out okay for these two people. Come on, guys. So now that we're all thoroughly melancholy after discussing the song and understanding how much more beauty there is in this song than, like I said, I ever gave it credit for, should we talk about the video and how absurd and cheap it is? <laughs> Whoa! Sorry, listen. No. Dave we- Kitchen has watched this video about 15 times in the last five to six days. I'm ready to talk about this, but I also concur. You can definitely tell this is a debut album because there is not much money for this. Even the Lou Albano cameo is about four seconds yeah, long. Yeah, what is up with that? Underused Lou Albano, I will say. Apparently the trailer was full of dog poop. Are you serious? Yeah, this is a memoir. And so when he ran out, even when he ran out to grab her in the video, he yeah. stepped right in dog poop. Are you serious? Yeah, you can see it right in the shot. I had no idea that porcelain dogs pooped. <laughs> <laughs> all right we gotta work through the video just like work this song second by second <laughs> listen it opens with her well kids you saw this i just saw this actually right before we started it could you set the stage for us yeah i didn't do the research i don't know what what movie it is it's Garden not Alla. it's not the the time after time movie that inspired the song title but it's a movie that she's watching an old-timey kind of like... It's Garden of Allah. Garden of Allah? Yep. Yeah, okay. And it's probably from the 50s? 36. 36? Some, yeah. some oh, of us okay. do research, Kitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's bold talk coming from you, Frank. <laughs> I know. <laughs> he hits all the things underlined in blue and just follows that trail. <laughs> so, and it's her, and it seems to inspire her... There's, I, I don't quite get the context of the movie, but yeah, she's watching it while her boyfriend is asleep beside her and she cradles a porcelain dog. And not a not a small, diminutive porcelain dog, like a full-size kind of, it's not a lab, is it? I don't know what kind of dog. Beagle, maybe? But it's, it's yeah, a... Some it's sort a, of beagle-greyhound mix. Pointer type of thing. Yeah. I got I to just say point of issue. Is that what we say? Sure. Point of privilege, I want to say. Point of privilege is a... <laughs> Remember, guilt-free parliament here. I want to bring up my... Listen, I slept an inordinate amount of time with stuffed animals. Dare I say, I may have still been a teenager with stuffed animals. Like, And I can say this now, being so far removed and knowing that most likely people who'd make fun of me probably aren't listening. But yeah, I had piggy and doggy. Okay. I don't need your judgment, by the way. But you know, I had... The thing is, I'm not judging the animal. I'm judging the simplicity of the name. I'm offended by that more than you being a All teenager right, listen, with stuffed animals. I, I had these. I didn't get piggy and doggy when I was 12. I got them when I was three. And I was. I have fidelity, right? Which is why I identify with this song and the complexity of, you know, I slept with these animals when I probably should have let them go, but I wasn't ready to. Anyways, there's no way you could sleep with a porcelain animal. No it's, way. it's too hard. No. It's too cold. But piggy and doggy were plushy and soft. Piggy, I think, only had one eye, but it wasn't like a thing you'd buy from the store. I think my grandmother sewed it. I think she sewed both of them. Maybe the porcelain dog is a metaphor for her desire to move on to something larger, and it's big enough and noticeable enough that she can't find comfort in her her current situation. I don't know. Is that a is that a reach? <laughs> 
<laughs> Am I reading too much into the porcelain dog in a video that had no budget? Listen, there's no mis- there's no mistakes in these videos. Every moment is worth an essay. That is a bigger reach than my reading that the porcelain dog pooped. <laughs> the trailer was full of dog poop. It was some other dog. It wasn't the porcelain dog. Because it would be porcelain poop and you would have heard it breaking as the, the guy stepped on it. Now, the guy is... David Wolf, who is Cindy Lauper's actual boyfriend at the time. Yeah. Who she's actually having problems with before when she wrote the song. Yeah. And I wonder how aware of that he was while he's filming this. Maybe that's why he's so sullen in the video. I, he's not a is natural. He sullen or awkward? It's tough to say, but you know that there's a moment in the video where they have the, I think, I don't know if it's flashbacks of warm memories or there is just like, here's an awkward time where she comes in with her new haircut. Yeah. It's the same diner i think that the jets did their video for you got it over him anyways uh, i'm i'm falling to my own thing here but she comes in with a new haircut she pulls off her hat and is it like checkerboard hair well it's the waffle cut that uh, oh that yeah, that's right okay yeah. waffle and so he didn't know she was going to do that because she got her hair cut right before that part of the video oh and really so this is her boyfriend looking at her for the first time and she's like hey check it out i just shaved half my head that's a Which, real time that's a real time oh, wow. that's and so that's his real reaction <laughs> and so even his real reaction isn't the greatest acting in the world then you got the people around him kind of like smacking him around come on yeah, your Say girlfriend has nice. a waffle cut <laughs> yeah know? So she leaves and then hides behind a glass. Transparent pane of glass. Yeah. yeah. And he just bolts it right past her. Yeah. Which begs the question, was he running to find her or just running as far away as he could? <laughs> <laughs> it did seem like something out of a cartoon where somebody yeah. just hides behind like a, a telephone pole. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, yeah. we don't know where he went. <laughs> and does this trigger her memories of her mother or something? Yeah. Do you know who plays her mother in the video? I do. Her real mother. You got it. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> but Captain Little Bano is not her dad. I, I, can I just I'm gonna put that out there one more time? And he has a, such a bit part where it's like, how do you not use Captain Little Bano? Underused WWE star. I, I believe that he was her father for far too long. It was yesterday. <laughs> I, I didn't know. You were today years old. You told me last week it was her dad. Did I? I thought you did. Where's she going, Kitch? I have some ideas. First of all, I think she knows she has to go, but she doesn't want to go because she, when she leaves that Airstream trailer, she makes a, a, a like big, she slams the door. She leaves. So when you want to get away you and you, you've got a boyfriend sleeping, you don't slam the Airstream door, right? The other part is then when she walks away, she walks as slow as possible, which now I think she might be avoiding dog poo. <laughs> So there's definitely a reluctance. And then I saw one take on the internet that said she was homesick and wanted to go back to her mom. But it's clearly a scene where she goes and says goodbye to her mom. And her mom waves her into the car. So it's it's definitely not a, a reunion for long. It's like a, I'm, I'm checking out. And I'm saying goodbye. I'm, and off, then the, I'm off to bigger, better things. Bigger. I, she's going to New York. She's going to Hollywood. She's right. The haircut is is the and it the haircut drops the moment in the song where it says I'm too far ahead or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's her. I think it's her recognizing that she's got a career. She's got a life. 
and it's just not happening and the airstream trailer is not going to cut it for her there's something bigger and better waiting for her and she's going to go realize it which ties into her as a person and everything that we've talked about in terms of her character and everything like that and she truly is so unusual and she's got this thing that she's got to get off her chest and go off and do i don't know if i can add to that reading of the of the video i got to give her boyfriend credit for going out to stop her so he can help her pack properly Yes. That is kind of sweet. Yeah. Suitcase of memories. Yeah. And yeah, well, there you go, right? Yeah. It helps pack the memories. And then when she leaves, he's looking down. He's not looking at her. She's crying, single tear. And apparently that tear was real. Yep. yep. And she was thinking about the time she left and went on her yeah. train trip. Yeah, yeah. Now, the question I have, because it's the 80s, and now people are aware of the kind of sensitivity of all this, and there would definitely be like a sign language coach. Is she doing time after time or is it just like in the 80s, she's just like, I'm just going to make random hand signals and call it time after time. I was wondering what it was. Yeah. I was like, yeah. but I, I don't have my ASL, but I would really like to know that. Two things we want to know. Do you like Timmy T better? And do you know ASL? And what was she doing at the end of that video? So we three can, things. Ah, three things. Oh, man. Okay. So she's a pretty good actor. Yeah. And uh, this lends itself nicely to a category called Hallmark Movie. I feel the video is all right, mm -hmm. but for the weight of the song and how much it meant to me, and this is the interesting part, if you grow up with music videos, usually you see those first and they form your memories of the song. But because we were all six and seven years old, we didn't get to watch music videos. We got to hear it while we were roller skating, which formed our memories. And then when we see the video, we're like, what's up with that weird bowl trailer thing, right? Like, that's not... That's yeah. not it. This is what my memory is. This is what it is. And so, is there a better movie starring Cindy Lauper? I have one that I've been working on. Okay. Can you get this? <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. Frank just pulled go. out a full storyboard. Wow. This is on Bristol board. Well, you did some real work. You went to Michael's to buy this. Okay. We're ready. He's so, got an easel. So, we open England, 1864. Jack the, Jack the Ripper steals H.G. Wells' time machine and travels to the year 1979. And H.G. Wells somehow travels with him to track him down while he's murdering prostitutes. Not H.G. Wells, Jack the Ripper. That's my Hallmark movie. I think this is the memory. This is the thing. So the Hallmark movie formula is always like some big city person. Yeah. Who for whatever reason has to go back home and then they realize everything they had was yeah, there. Yeah, Jack the Ripper was originally from New York in 1979 and he was going home. But this is like the first part of it. When she goes back home, all the memories in this video, right? When he shows up at her work and she kind of climbs over the counter and the, the shopkeeper is like kind of berating her to get back to work or whatever. Like th these are the things that are going to give her that sense of home again. So this is like the first half that we never see. This is the part of the Hallmark movie that we never see because we only see the second half where she goes back. These are all the memories that she'll rely on when she goes back to have that fulfilling relationship with the dude. So this is a prequel to it's the prequel. Yeah. The Hallmark mm, movie. Yeah. All right. This might be a stretch, but. Was anyone else thinking of La La Land? No. Okay. Well, I was. I, you know, I don't think I like La La Land. I don't think I like the movie. I kind of liked it, but I just really like Ryan Gosling. Oh, see, so yeah, I'm, I'm more of an Emma Stone kind of guy. Oh, I mean, she's fantastic too, but. Possibly worst tap dancing scene in film history. Very they, simple. They spent a lot of time putting on tap dancing shoes, 
and I think they just click their feet. But she's time after time, right? She she's she had to go off on her own. Ryan right. Gosling had to let her go. Right, right, right. That's right. What do you think, Frank? Could you let Ryan Gosling go to pursue your dreams? That's a loaded question. Of tracking down Jack the Ripper in 1979, New York? <laughs> I think but Ryan, maybe. I don't think you get it, man. Okay? Like, there's a time machine. <laughs> He's going to kill a lot of women. All right, I got a question never been asked before. Are you two ready? Yes. Can Michael Bolton sing this song? Yes. He could, yes. Yeah. All right, ready? Next question. Should Michael Bolton sing this song? No. No, but I'm surprised he hasn't, actually. Yeah. Because it seems like it would be right in his wheelhouse. Yeah. Who do you think could cover this song? I'm interested. You're going to be shocked here, Frank. In Carly Rae Jepsen. <gasps> because I think she has some Cindy Lauper aesthetic to her. Yes. That she is cool outsider. She's not as outside as Cindy Lauper. The great thing about Cindy Lauper is there's nothing about her that screams pinup girl. Can I say that? You just did. I think you can, yeah. Okay. She doesn't have the machinery behind there's her no that's machinery. pushing her in that yeah. direction. And yeah. we know that Carly Rae Jepsen comes out of Canadian Idol. Yeah. The even more popular version of British Idol or pop <laughs> idol. More sorry. But but there is an aesthetic to Kylie Jepsen of being a bit of an outsider. Yes. Being fun. Yes. And she could do something with it if she could just keep away from too much electronica. I don't like what she did with last Christmas. And that's the end of our podcast. Uh, Bill is besmirched the good name of Carly Rae Jepsen, and I am quitting. This is a lot of worlds colliding on the franking Bill's uh, guilt-free pleasures. You got Wham. You've got Carly Rae Jepsen. (laughs) Who? Only one can win. (laughs) It's like the Highlander. (laughs) Frank, do you have anyone? Well, now they say Carly Rae Jepsen. Absolutely. It was Carly Rae Jepsen that I was going to say. Mr. Kitchen, what about you? I could see the the kind of current flavors of the month, like um, like uh, oh, what's her name, Ariana Grande or something, like trying to get the cred, you know? Yeah. They and they go they go full sort of the Madonna route where they got the the whole like pop star aesthetic and things like that, but then to get the cred, they and the girl power stuff, which I think would be an insult to Cindy Lauper if anybody like that did that. Yeah, and you know what? Every cover of it misses the mark. So there's the yeah. Iron and Wine cover that was supposed to hit, didn't hit. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole bunch of other ones that get really weird. One sounds kind of like Nickelback to me. I don't know the name of the style of music because I hate it. But there's all these different covers, and they get there. You get a dancey cover, this cover, even the venerable Eva Cassidy's cover oh, doesn't yeah. capture no. what Cindy Lauper does. It's so perfect. All the covers miss her personality. And they also miss Robert Hyman's vocal catching yeah. up or falling behind. And it is so perfect. Yeah. Everything happened in that moment where it just needs to be put into like a, a time capsule where only H.G. Wells and his... And, <laughs> and the, Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper could come <laughs> after it. This is... Uh, it is so good. The song is so good. And I want to go back being the kid on the roller skates going around that cement pad at Prudence Landing that we've talked about this before which is the summer sort of getaway thing 
where you have water slides and stuff and skeet ball. But we just go on the roller rink and you go over those cracks, right, that formed in there and you're hearing this song and you're just part of this moment and it's dark and your parents have stayed longer than they should and you just keep going at the roller skating hearing this song again and again. That's what I want. It's a good memory. Time after time. You know what I don't like? I don't like that she made fun of my condition on David Letterman. They sang a song called Lactose Intolerant. Oh, that's right. To this song. Really? David Letterman, yeah. Yeah. That cuts deep for you. Yeah, but good news is David Letterman is also lactose intolerant and possibly also Cindy Lauper. So I'm glad I could be swimming in their milk pool. My stomach is swelling. Did anyone bring a mixtape to the table? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Guest gets to go first. I went um, full girl power on this. All right, good. Because I think, you know, uh, like we talked about the comparisons between Madonna and her, but there's something kind of more fundamental. Like I think some people tried to mimic Madonna, but she went off in such a, like a kind of a a sexual route later on, like in the later 80s. That that it was it wasn't it was more fringe, even though she was mainstream. But everybody went the Cindy Lauper route a bit because this is right around the time that neon was coming in. Yeah, and and everybody had like a pair of neon socks or something like that. So there's like this every person kind of thing to Cindy Lauper that was really cool. And there, there's all her her kind of work about. Um, empowering women, empowering the gay community. She's got a sister who's a lesbian. So yeah, in yeah. the 80s when when AIDS was a thing and they were and, – and sort of the gay community was sometimes seen as the other or whatever, she was a champion for these people. Yeah, yeah. So I went with a, a playlist. I only have four songs, but it's all, it's all women. It's Joan Jett, I Love Rock and Roll because I feel like Cyndi Lauper loves rock and roll for what it, it meant yeah. in the 80s. Uh, Chrissy Hines – don't get me wrong, because oh, that's nice. kind of the ethos that Cindy Lauper was coming in on. Uh, Blondie, one way or another, because Cindy Lauper is going to make her album no matter what. And then Madonna, Material Girl, because so much of Cindy Lauper's thing is just, you know, here I am and I've got my eclectic wardrobe and personality and all this stuff. So that's my little four song mixtape for this. That's fantastic. That's Thank a solid you. four. All right. Go I ahead. I would say Frank. it's a solid 10. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, four to four. Can oh, I say four to four? It's 100%. Okay. Frank, you go. All right. So my mixtape, the theme is songs about being there for someone. Okay. Oh, no. You're going to say the Rembrandts? No. Okay. Thank you. That wasn't even a thought on my mixtape. So I'm going to open up with the Rembrandts. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. No, that's not making my mix. Right, right. Ain't No Mountain High Enough by Diana Ross. Yep. Anytime You Need a Friend by Mariah Carey. Very good. Danny Song, Loggins and Messina. Oh, I thought you were going to want Anne Murray on that. Okay. No. <laughs> Little bit on the nose on this one. I'll Be There For You by Bon Jovi. Yep. All right. Yeah. Reach Out, I'll Be There, Four Tops. Yep. We're going to close it off with 
possibly one of my top 10 all-time favorite songs, Cry for Help by Rick Astley. Oh, very good, Frank. All right. I went with songs by women in the 80s that had a bit of that, not quite torch song, but that grandiose cinematic flavor to it. Okay. Live to Tell, Madonna. We Belong, Pat Benatar. Oh, nice. That's a good one. Voices Carry, Till Tuesday. And then I'm ending it with Take My Breath Away by Berlin. Oh, Mm. nice. Good call. There's my mixtape. Nice. Three solid mixtapes, if I can call my mixtape solid. Yes. I feel we can make it into one mixtape, which will be shared in our show notes. (laughs) Your call on the Bon Jovi is good because Rick Chertoff also produced Bon Jovi. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's so right. There's like a six degrees of Cindy Lauper going on. Mm-hmm. And what else did he produce? You did some research. He did Joan Osborne, the album, her first album. So another solid debut. I mean, I don't know if history looks back on it that way, but at the time it was big. And uh, and then, oh, there's another, another girl song. Damn, I Wish I Was Your Lover. Oh, yeah. yeah. Chris Newkirk has been calling for this song for years. We've talked about Chris Newkirk for a few episodes, but he's like, I want to do Damn, I Wish I Was Your Lover. I'm like, I'm nervous about talking about lovers because I know Frank's nervous about saying lover. And the word damn. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're we're a clean podcast. Yeah, you're going to have to put the E on this one. The explicit. Yeah. Yeah, that is quite a song. That is quite a song. So he's definitely got something about women debut albums yeah. and, and, you know, yeah, yeah. bringing women to the forefront, which is kind of cool. The big question that I have for you guys is, what part of this song brings you joy? I do like the musical interlude. Oh, okay. I, I feel like it's very, for the 80s, yeah. it's very subdued. It's very timeless. It, you know, it doesn't have the the power pop of girls just want to have fun or whatever. And yeah. it's, it, it is my favorite part of the song. There's the bass line that goes on in there. And I watched a Rolling Stone interview where they were revisiting the songs. And he said something like, oh, there's no bass on the record except here. I'm like, wait, wait, bass on the song or on the whole entire record? There must have been bass on the record. I would think. Yeah. I don't know anymore, though. I was like, there's got to be bass. There's bass everywhere. But still, on this, he, he talked about the bass being something special. So that bass line, for me... I mean, there's a couple other things I want to say, but I want to let you say your thing, then I'll say my thing. Actually, this is a a good opportunity. I'm going to flip this a little bit and ask you the question, what do you think brings me joy? And I'm going to let you sit and think about this. Oh, oh, I want to answer it. I will be waiting (laughs) time after time. That's it. There it is. That's (laughs) all I got. You got Yeah, All right. (laughs) Well done. That is the best. Oh, I love yeah. that so much. Uh, Apparently it was ad-lib too. Yeah. Oh, she is the best. I love this album. I love her personality. I love how her career trajectory has gone. I love that she wasn't famous, that she kept her roots, and she's kind to everyone. Yeah. She is the best, to quote Carly Simon. If you fall, I will get you Time after time. 
I hope you've been able to hold yourself together through our examination of time after time. I know my uh, emotions have taken a big toll here. I had to keep from crying a lot, and there's just a lot of big feels that come with a song. But of course, they'll come with a song that means so much to um, not only the Winchester here, but to the actual universe. And we want to thank Dave Kitchen for joining us for his 11th episode. Wait, I think I got this figured out. This is a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I get it now. Yeah. That's why the mics are here. Thank you for bringing this song to the table. Yeah. And so uh, keep bringing us more songs, David Kitchen. I will. I've got a list. Yeah. Bring them over to us time after time. Oh, nice one, Frank. 